G'day listeners, Rod Murray here from the Talk and Golf Network with a couple of quick messages just before we get underway with today's State of the Game. First things first, if you haven't already, check out talkandgolf.com for more great podcasts, including Derek Duncan's Feed the Ball Architecture Show and our new weekly offering, the Good Good Golf Podcast with Derek and Adrian Logue. We've also taken on a sponsor at Talk and Golf, the good people at thegolfsociety.com.au have come aboard. And if you're a snappy addresser than me, let's be honest, that's pretty much all of you. It's a site well worth a look. Lots of high-end golf apparel and accessories with top brands like Ralph Lauren and Jay Lindeberg. Plenty of styles not yet readily available in Australia. Check the show notes for direct links, but that's the golf Society. .com.au. And lastly, to whet the appetite before we get underway today, I can't say too much, but I will say check the show notes for some links that you'll very much want to look at after you've heard today's very special episode. That's enough from me. I hope you enjoy episode 99 of State of the Game. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 99 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and what matters on this episode is golf course design or more specifically those who engage in it and to be even more specific, some fairly significant moves among some of the industry's best known players in recent days. If you've got an interest in the way golf courses are arranged and the people who do the arranging, you'll likely have heard that our regular co-host here at State of the Game, Mike Clayton, has left the design firm of OCCM and branched out on his own. We'll come to Mike to explain some more about that in a moment, but what many might not realise is that as part of that new direction, Mike's teamed up with two of the game's most respected fellow architects in Europe and the US, in Frank Pont of Infinite Variety Golf Design based in Amsterdam, and Mike DeVries, who works out of Michigan in the US. Let's meet all three members of this new collaborative effort and then we can chat about what this partnership means. Frank Pont, come to you first. A welcome. Good to have you here at what's undoubtedly an exciting time for the architecture business and you and Mike and Mike personally. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Good to be on your show. Yeah, looking forward to chatting from the US and I believe safely ensconced in his car on a job site (laughs) in New York is Mike DeVries. Mike, welcome. Nice to be chatting with you on a pretty significant day, it must be said. Yes, it is. Thank you. I appreciate it, Rod. Uh, it's great to be on your on your podcast, and uh, it is exciting. I'm 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 real excited to sort of further uh, exploration into golf architecture. I've known uh, Mike for quite a long time, and Frank and I have had a collaboration for the last few years, and we've done a few things. But I'm looking forward to it being uh, more exciting and more expansive indeed we'll dig into all of that uh shortly last but by no means least from the spiritual home of australian golf in melbourne it's mike clayton clates looking forward to chatting with you today as always always great to catch up it is no shackleford but i'm sure we can manage without him for an episode (laughs) a key member of the state of the game team i'm going to come to you first clates because of course everybody's going to want to know this will be the question buzzing around in architecture circles what happened with occm well, I'm not sure it's that interesting, really. It's kind of a very small world, that, but no doubt people will gossip about it and have speculated about it. But in truth, it wasn't working as well as it had for any of us. So we all thought it was time that I moved on. So I have. And I think it's – I was – Frank and OCCM had pitched for a job at the Berkshire a few years ago and were unsuccessful, but that was the first 
suggestion that Frank and I might work together, and then Frank and Mike were working together in America, so uh, it made sense for us to get together. Really, I'm I'm excited about certainly going to going back to live in Europe for the summer. I spent 15 years there, and it's kind of whilst it's not my spiritual home, I always felt at home in in London and in Europe, and I'm really looking forward to getting back there and working. Big things at an interesting stage in life, Clates. You're sort of into your 60s now, I suppose. The window doesn't stay open forever, does it? If you want to do something different, you've got to get on with it and do it. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about you guys, but I still feel like I'm 30. Is that kind of delusional? But... <laughs> That's because you play world-class golf courses every day of your life. Of course you feel fantastic. The rest of us work for a living, mate. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. I've never, I've never actually had a real job. No, that's right. But um, yeah, look, I, mean, I, I guess it's probably the baby boomer generation. But I, don't, I speak to you know my contemporaries, and none of us. In fact, I played with a couple of guys. From, I went to school with at Portsea on Monday, and none of us can really believe we're this old, or you know, we just don't feel like we're that old, or that we're certainly close to retiring or doing nothing. So, you know. It's, there's a funny. I remember seeing a funny um, was a sticker in a in a bar in Furbier, a ski bar, which said I think it was a no fear uh, ad, and it said the older I get, the better I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's of, true. Plenty of truth uh, in that. I wonder. Hey, Clates, sorry, Mike. Oh, Clates, there'll, there'll be no slacking anymore. You've got to do real work now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm. Probably... <laughs> You might be about to embark on your, your first real job, Clates. I don't know. You won't know. first real <laughs> job, yeah. <laughs> on a serious note, I wonder what part walking has played in your uh, great feelings, Clates, in, in being at your age. A lot of people at 63, I think you are, don't feel that great physically, which then has an impact mentally. You walk miles and miles every day. You guys don't know Frank and Mike DeVries. At the Australian Open quite often each year, Clates will caddy for the Women's Open. He'll caddy for Suo, so he'll walk 18 holes with the bag in the morning go inside and have a cup of tea, and then he'll go back out and walk the course again in the afternoon following one or two other players to write a piece. So you'll do 36 holes in a day, four days in a row, no problem, quite comfortably. So you're uh, you're pretty lucky, guys. But I reckon that walking's probably had something to do with that. Well, I think, yeah, I think, well, I, I certainly know that getting in a golf cart doesn't do no, anyone any good. No, uh, I played with an old bloke on Saturday morning at Metropolitan you know, who, who couldn't get around any other way than a golf cart, so it's great for him, but I'm sure walking is... A tremendous part of staying reasonably healthy. It's, uh, and this this comes into design uh, into into Arctic. All three of you have been on Derek Duncan's feed the ball uh, podcast, of course. And something he raised once that I'd never thought of is when you when you play a golf course in a cart, you almost never approach the green from the front from the fairway because you're always parking to the side to go and putt. And he said when you walk the golf course, it's a completely different experience because you approach all of the greens from the front. It's interesting, isn't it? It's only a little detail, but I wonder how important that is and how it was interesting to uh, to sort of think about. Uh, I mean, basically, if, if if I see a golf course for the first time, uh, you know, I'll do whatever it takes not to have to do it in a golf cart. Yeah, yeah. It's well, it's such a Mike DeVries in your it's part a, of the world. It's a it's a given, isn't it? Most places, golf carts are just yeah. Unfortunately, in the U.S., yeah. I mean, everybody takes a cart, even you know the young guys particularly. But I think um, you know, I walk. As much as I can, I, it's rare that I take a golf cart too. But um, the interesting thing is, is you know, ball marks and uh, you know, just they're just not repaired. Not because people are lazy; they don't they don't get to them because they don't walk by them as they approach a green. Too a lot of times, Ooh. it's interesting how that changes your perspective, and it also changes 
the flow, you know, what he's talking about, what Derek's talking about is really the flow. And, you know, you, you don't get that same sense. You really understand the flow of the golf course so much better when it's walkable. Yeah, indeed. That's another black mark against carts there, the pitch marks. I hadn't thought of that, Mike. That's fantastic. We'll put that one on the list of uh, <laughs> reasons that we'd it's, rather... It's a win. long list. Yeah, it's a, it is a laundry list indeed. Some might say, all right, so we've uh, we've sort of dealt with what's happened there with you, Clay. So I suppose what we want to do now is look to the future. Frank Pont, how's this going to work? I suppose you've got the, the perfect conundrum, haven't you? Uh, the upside is you've got the whole world covered because you're all over the world. The downside is you're all over the world. Well, you got us three together at the same time. So uh, I, I, to be honest, I'm, that, that's not too big an issue. I mean, I've done that for the last 20, well, I started doing that about 25 years ago when I was in the banking business. Um, I would get up in the morning and the first conference call would be with uh, Melbourne, which was where we had an office or with Tokyo. And then by the end of the day, you were still doing conference calls with San Francisco, which was on the west coast of the US. Um, now, yeah, that's 25 years ago. But you know, I think with communications become so much better, you don't have to be on calls, you can do it on this is Skype, but normally you'd be doing it on WhatsApp, you do it on on email, etc, etc. Um, I think I think there are two really angles to to where it works. Well, three. One is we really like each other and we have the same taste. I think that's that that you know. And the, I, I've never been able to work with people I didn't like. Two, it, we have very complementary skill sets, and I think that's very important when you think about a good partnership. A good partnership, you need people that that are good in different things, because that's how you get the most synergy of working with different people. And then you know, finally, uh, none of us uh, minds traveling to go and see things i mean you have to be local for two reasons one is to understand the culture but also the way we do work all three of us is to be there when the work gets done and to see it and to adjust it etc etc mm. mike devries that can be difficult to achieve sometimes can't i know that you came down here you did king island down here uh off the coast of you know the mainland australia and tasmania i'm pretty sure you moved here for a length of time to be a part of that it's 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 this new age of design that we have that that's one of the keys to is that the designer or one of the designers needs to be on site not all times but most of the time well i i, I certainly think that's important uh and i think uh clates and frank are in the same boat there um you know for me i'm on a bulldozer sand pro with a rake in my hand and so i'm shaping and building stuff and and you can't do that from a distance. You got to be there to do that. But um, yeah, for for instance, for Cape Wickham, uh, I was there for you know long trips. But then, like the main six months of building, uh, I moved moved to King Island with my family uh, for six months, and that was a great experience. Not only um, you know the project, which is amazing, but um, but just the you know the cultural experience. For that, my son was 14 at the time. My daughter was in college. And so, you know, they got to see another part of the world for not just, you know, three, four days or a week. Uh, they got to experience it long term. And, and that uh, was really exciting. So it was, um, you know, I think that's a that's a great aspect of the job. But it's also difficult because it's hard to it's hard to travel a lot. Everybody, everybody that travels a lot knows that. <laughs> King Island for a teenager from Michigan must have been like another planet. Uh, yeah, it, um, you know the funny <laughs> they, the funny thing is they they got to the island on Saturday and Saturday is uh, is footy uh, on the island. There's three teams on the island. It's one of the it's probably one of the smaller leagues, 
and there's a junior team and then there's a senior team and they they get to the island about noon and footies you know started and so uh ben and i took ben right over to the footy field and he met kids and they were like hey you want to play you know and uh, training's on tuesday he's like okay <laughs> so uh so that was you know was yeah it, it is it's a king island's a throwback no matter what because it's it's a very small community and um you know it's a lot of farming and stuff but it's an amazing amazing people amazing beautiful place um and you know it's just it's like the cleanest air in the world so it's it's was really a fantastic experience and he loves it you know he he, he would love to go back and you know spend more time. So what a beautiful non iPad story uh, for a teenager, and what a what a delightful and magnificent golf course she built there. Clates, something that Frank touched on there really strikes me. Uh, three very different backgrounds for the three of you. You bring, of course, a level of playing skill that I'm assuming the other two don't. You would comfortably win a match off scratch against. Either. What do the other two bring that you perhaps look to? It's a funny game, golf, isn't it? Well, the thing I you know, Mike builds stuff. I I'm in awe of people who build stuff, get on machines and have the patience and the skill to work those machines and put stuff on the ground. And that was where I was lucky in uh, working with Bruce Grant. Bruce was tremendous at building stuff. And I, whilst I picked up none of their skills, I, I was, a, um, I loved watching them work and bring stuff out of the ground. And, you know, for me to come up with an idea, and for them to put it on the ground always amazed me how they did that. I mean, it's much more difficult than I, I think than playing golf. Playing golf seems easy to me, but doing what those guys do is much more skillful and takes much more patience. And um, and if you you know in golf, if you miss the cut, you go into the next week. But in golf course design, if you build a bad green, it's there for people to bitch about forever. So <laughs> someone's even if you build a good one, place it's yeah. there for well, people to bitch about that's, forever. That's true too. So um, you know, I. I <laughs> I mean, all of got you know, guys like Gil and um, Brian Schneider and Bruce Hepner and Mike, who get on machines and build their own stuff. I think I, I think it's incredible what they do. And of course, here in Australia, um, that was what Mick Morecambe did. I mean, um, Alice McKenzie came here for three months and completely changed the course of golf in Australia. But it was left to Morecambe to build all the beautiful stuff that we still kind of admire and revere and try and um, and try and emulate so he, he was the unsung genius of melbourne golf really and of course the you know the connection with mike is that he grew up at crystal downs which is you know the best course in michigan probably and one of the greatest courses in the world and i played Royal melbourne with jeff ogilvy on friday last week it was so i mean it's, i first played there in 1974 i think so i'm in awe of that place every time i go there it's a rare place that it make you feel like that. Even, well, I, I feel the same way as you, Clates. I can watch a group of 15 markers play Royal Melbourne and be captivated by, because the course is just so special, isn't it? It's uh, it's not many courses you could sort of say that about. Frank, what are your thoughts about that? Of course, construction is the second and equally important part of golf design, isn't it? It's all very well to have the ideas and even paint the pretty pictures, but if you can't put it in the ground, it's all for naught, really, isn't it? So I suppose the three skill sets that the, that the three of you bring, they do complement each other, don't they? Well, yeah, I think I think, I think think you all three, I think we all three have, have to have an eye and the same type of taste, because otherwise you'd be, you know, you'd be arguing too much about, it's good to argue and it's good to have differences, but you have to have a, a common you know, a common philosophy that you adhere to. Then in terms of building, yeah, it's, it's, 
I'm a lot on a building side. I don't actually operate machines, which is a, a, a decision I made at a certain point. You know, do I want to start doing that or not? And I decided not to do that. And, and instead, I, I try to work. If I'm not working with Mike, try to work with, you know, very good and talented shapers um, who try, who can translate it. And that, it, that's what it is. You're like a You're like a painter without hands who has to explain to somebody who can paint what to paint. And that has to be a good synergetic relationship. Um, yeah, and then for the rest, it's just, you know, it's like Simpson, Tom Simpson said, you, you know, you see in a split second if you like it or don't like something. Mm -hmm. So judging what is there is not, easy, it's not hard. You, you, I, I don't think a good architect has trouble seeing if he likes what he sees. The difficulty then is is to explain what you don't like and how you want to change it. And the better you know and the better you work with people, the more you're going to, you know, uh, have less trouble to explain that to them and to get them to put it in the ground. Hmm. I'm, I'm of the mind that one of the great things about the golden age of architecture was the, a, a fabulous sort of atmosphere of collaboration. I suppose the, the best example being Pine Valley. We know how many of the great architects of the time had a hand in Pine Valley. We're coming back to something a little bit similar, Frank. You collaborate pretty openly with a lot of people. This collaboration now for an industry that through the eighties and nineties, in particular, through that real estate boom time, where it was probably more about money than golf. I think it'd be fair to say we probably didn't have so much of that. You had a bunch of big name sort of architects getting a lot of the work. Do you feel something in the air with architecture and collaboration and 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 just the the topic itself as a public discussion point with golfers? Well, collaboration only works if the egos aren't too big, and um, so it wouldn't work with everybody in this industry because there there are some big egos out there, um, which also has financial. There are also financial interests. I think collaborations work easier if you're less money oriented, less brand oriented, and you know uh, more interested in having fun. And that's where I am at it in, at this stage. Uh, as I said earlier, I'd like to work with people that are you know, better than I am, uh, or at least better in areas where, you know, in certain areas, and who I really like and enjoy working with. Mike DeVries, how did you all come together? You mentioned that you've known Clates for a long time, and you obviously you've worked with Frank, but uh, that's very different to three blokes in the same industry saying, hey, why don't we work together? How did that happen? And what, what were your sort of initial thoughts? Did, had you harbored thoughts about maybe working with Clates previously? Um, it hadn't, it hadn't uh, really come up, but uh, Frank and I have... Uh, had this collaboration over the last few years, and uh, most notably, that's where I brought him in at uh, Bloomfield Hills Country Club, which is outside of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, that's a Harry Colt design, and Frank has, you know, done more Colt work uh, than anybody really. And so that was a that was an easy uh, transition to do that to have Frank involved on in that and have that Colt expertise. Um, and I did some shaping for Frank in, in Madrid uh, a year ago or so. Yep. yep. Um, and, you know, so that worked out really well where, you know, he had a project and they, uh, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a huge project. It was a couple weeks, um, but it was it was a fantastic uh, experience. You know, I went over to, to Madrid for a couple of weeks and worked with the crew there and shaped up, you know, what Frankie got. So, um, Clayton and I have um, first met in 2007 i think uh my we had communicated a little bit prior to that but um uh we had never met and so met in 2007 and i went over to australia for the first time and you know we just we struck up a good 
good rapport and, uh, you know, stayed in contact and, uh, over the years. And, um, so it was kind of an, a natural trend transition and to go into this and thinking about, uh, of course, my experience with Cape Wickham and, you know, already having worked in Australia and enjoying that a lot. So I also see that as an opportunity for, um, you know, working with Clates more, you know, I mean, if there's a project and, you know, maybe that brings me back to Australia. That would be something that, we, you know, I'd be very interested in. So um, I think there's a lot of positives there um, and the synergy between the three of us. Um, you know, there's open discussion. And, do, do you and, get to contribute uh, to that much with these two, Mike? <laughs> well, tough to get a word. In. Tough to get a word in. Some. I just, you know, I, I put an end to the argument. I just, you know, <laughs> this is it. This is <laughs> the referee. No, it's uh, it's all it's all good. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't call the free silent to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Once he gets going, he can go, can't he? There's uh, no. Question I was going to say, yeah. Frank, go and play some golf with him. Yeah. It, <laughs> I love the idea of the three of you working together, and it's clear from talking to the three of you that you all get on and you share similar sort of views about the game and that's terrific but who who's going to employ you where do you work who are you competing with where does cdp golf fit in the golf architecture world now who's answering what mike that's for you (laughs) i think that's a question that's particularly good for you to answer okay well i i think uh, you know if you look at it i think we've already in in certain fields you know gotten to the point where we're pretty much like in Europe we're the you know the leading restorer of all classic courses um, I think you know, Mike is, uh, in Australia has has a similar status in that he's worked on a lot of the classics there and I, I personally see Mike almost as you know mr. professor in golf I think you know if there would be a professor in golf it would be Mike mm-hmm. and I think you know, Mike Mike DeVries is, is, is in it in the US is, you know, probably somebody who has in my view has done some of the best work around, but um, you know, is it could be no more by by, by say the bigger public, you know. Um and I think by working together, uh, you get to a position where you could start competing for you know, call it the biggest ticket items you know the the big courses the the very big biggest courses in europe um all the renovations of that more of them in the u.s and uh you know people who say well you know uh, we have a we have a course by tom and a course by bill and ben and a course by gill but you know we have a fourth course coming up mm-hmm. you know it's interesting Frank says that, isn't it, Clates? Because that's one thing that has happened as golf architecture has sort of become more prominent amongst the golfing public. We've had emerge a sort of big three or four who've tended to get all of the really good jobs for the last decade yeah. or so, haven't they? You know, I was just thinking, I've always wondered why Mike DeVries wasn't you know, sort of right there with Corn Crenshaw and Doak and Gil, who I think, Gil Hansel, I think people would say were the big three of golf design. You know, much as player Nicholas and Palmer were, and Mike's sort of sitting there like Billy Casper was, who was <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, if Billy Casper had been managed by Mark McCormick, it would have been the big four. Uh-huh. But he was quieter and didn't attract the same publicity, but played equally as well. Mm. So, you know, I think that, um, I mean, a part of this business is marketing yourself and selling yourself. And I, I think it's a 
compelling combination of three people that cover the world who would be an attractive company to hire for, for people wanting to build great golf courses. That's essentially you know the, the, how I see it. And I think that you know as, mu- as much great restoration work of we've all done around the world, I think that the, 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 there's so much of that stuff still to be done, especially on the continent in Europe. I mean, you know, I've played so many courses in Europe that I thought could have been so much better. That's important for and, the game, isn't it, Clates? Well, forward as I hate the term, but if, if if we have a bunch of bad golf courses, people will have a bunch of uninteresting golf experiences and turn away from the game. Well, it goes back to what Mackenzie wrote. You know, you know, we've done a podcast, Rod, you and I, on the Spirit of St Andrews, and it, it's, it was so important to the future of golf. The thing that Mackenzie wrote about people not understanding why they got bored with golf. So they would move away from St Andrews where they love golf and it was compelling and interesting always. And they would move away and start playing. Well, by definition, every course was lesser than St Andrews, but you know they would get bored with it because it wasn't interesting. But they didn't know why they were bored with it because they couldn't figure out why the golf wasn't as compelling as it was at St Andrews. So, and Mackenzie knew how to translate that interest onto the ground. He did it at Crystal Downs. He did it at Long Island. He did it. At all Woodley, so he did it all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and he was really the first collaborator. I mean, he worked with Alec Russell here and you know, uh, Maxwell at Crystal Downs and um, different people all over the world. So, and, and, and he travelled more than, in terms of the difficulty of travel, he travelled way more than we ever did. And we just jump on a plane and go somewhere. I mean, he was on a boat, yeah. so it was much harder in his time to do what he did. We're thankful here in Australia for the fact that he did. Mike DeVries, I'm struck while I'm listening to Clates there talking that the golf course design business is a little bit like his former profession of professional golf. You get into it because you love to play golf and hit shots. But once you get to a certain level, it becomes about all the other stuff, doesn't it? The marketing and the consulting and the dealing with people, <laughs> all the stuff that's got nothing to do with why you got into it. Has that been your sort of experience? And and I imagine a collaboration like this is very helpful because you do strike me as not, a, not as forward as perhaps the other two when it comes to uh, selling yourself. Yeah, maybe that's just my, as we would call in the States here, Midwestern values mm-hmm. where you don't trumpet yourself. But, um, you know, I think a part of that goes, just to go back to what Clates was talking about and, and the word that Frank used earlier too was, you know, we want to make golf fun. It's about being fun. And that, that's the, you know, everybody wants to be on the ratings and the lists and things like that. and want to, want to do the great courses and stuff. And, you know, I've been fortunate um, with my clients have been able to do that several times. And that's, that's really exciting. But the, the highest compliment you can get is when someone's playing your golf course and they go, you know, I had this shot over here and last week I was over there. You know, I never saw that before. That was really cool. Um, so, I think the three of us want to make golf interesting and fun and, and, you know, bring that excitement to it. And, and that is a reward in itself in, in trying to do that. And like you're saying, Rod, I mean, it's a, you know, golf is a business and we got into it cause we love it. You know, I grew up playing the game. My grandfather taught me when I was you know six or eight or whatever. And I was following him around crystal downs and I got into it cause I started working at crystal downs and it's one of the coolest places in the world. Um, and you know, to me, that's, that's what I want to try and, you know, create for people. And, and, but you're right. I mean, a lot of the business is not doing the creation part. It's, it's dealing with all the other stuff and dealing with agencies and, 
permitting and all that stuff that we don't want to do, <laughs> but you have to. You don't have a choice. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's um, you know that's a challenge, um, you know, and I think having the three of us around the world uh, and being easy easy to communicate nowadays makes that you know breeds for some of those opportunities mm-hmm. and um, and how you can do that and and make things better make things more fun, make things more interesting. Uh, golf isn't broken. Everyone wants to talk about it being, you know, well, golf is down and da, 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 da. But, you know, I look at it and say golf hasn't done a really good job of explaining what's great about golf. Golf is, okay, you're outdoors with your friends. You're not on a device. You're getting exercise. Uh, you're having fun. You know, you're doing different things and you're challenging yourself. And, um, why can't we talk about that stuff instead of trying to figure out what's broken about golf? I don't, you know, golf is difficult, only, but only that's one of the things broken. that makes it attractive. Only the yeah. business is broken, isn't it, Mike? The game itself is as compelling as it's always been. The way it's been, Absolutely. Sold, as you say, is yeah. what's wrong. Yeah. So you're welcome to come and live with me anytime if, uh, if, <laughs> if that's how you <laughs> approach the game. Frank, while Mike was talking there, it struck me, motive is crucial in all businesses, isn't it? I guess particularly in golf. If you start from the point of we want to build a course that's going to be ranked in the world's top 100, that's a very different way to go about it than building the best course you can and let it fall in the top 100 if that be it. Talk a little bit about that. That's important, isn't it? Um, well, you know, the the other two guys have built something in the top 100. I haven't. Uh, yes. That's my, compl- that's my complimentary skill. Um, um, <laughs> uh, so I'm probably the least qualified of the three to talk about top 100 courses. Now, I've, I've been able to tinker on a couple of them, uh, you know, particularly Royal Hague and, and Depan, who, who are, you know, pretty good courses on the continent. Um, I think... You know the way I look at it. You look at every course and just think, what is the you know what's the what's the potential of this thing? I always compare it to like you know, if I talk to cor- if talk to committees to to clubs, you say think of it like your kid. We've just tested your kid, and he's at University X, but you know maybe you could go to Oxford, or you could go to you know, you know University of Michigan, University of Chicago. If he did this, this, and this, and this, question is, does he want to do that? Do you want to do that? Um, you're always looking for what's the potential. Where could it become better? If we took trees out, if we brought back the the strategy of of old times, if we rerouted it, let's say it's not a you know it's a golf course that's okay but could be better. Um, so there there are many things that you can do to make a course better. If you're looking at a new course and you're thinking, okay, a it depends on how great the site is. That's why Mike, you know, when he when Mike got the chance to work in in Cape uh, on Cape Wickham on Kings Island, that that's why he flew his family over. I mean, he wouldn't have done it if it was somewhere in a place that wasn't as exciting from a golf landscape as that. Um, but, you know, I've worked on Swinkles is a good example. It's, you know, it's a pretty good course. It's in the middle of flat farm fields. Um, you could still make an interesting course there if you got the space and if the soil is sandy. You, you get the best it's there. But it will never be a top 100 course because it's not on Kings Island on a cape. Clates, isn't the reality of why Mike DeVries moved here AFL? Once people discover it, don't they just... That's, that's the truth. <laughs> 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 you live in Melbourne where it's stifling, don't you, the AFL? Well, it's just, it's the most, it's just an obsession here, getting worse. Yeah. So <laughs> the, old, the older I get, the less tolerant I get of the obsession. I mean, 
when I was a kid, I knew every player in the league, the numbers they wore on their backs and who they played for. And now I've got no clue. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested, but yeah, it's just, it's just an obsession in Melbourne. It's crazy. In fact, it's even infiltrated golf clubs because I noticed that the PGA have started a podcast and one of the co-hosts is Brendan Goddard, a former top eight Brendan player, Goddard. who in yeah. fairness is a fantastic player. I'm sure you've played with him as well. He's, I think he's a plus marker, isn't he? He plays pennants for one of the clubs down there. But He's uh, a member at, He's a member at Metro. He's a... He's a terrific player. He played in the club parent team this year, which is a big inter club thing in Melbourne. And he actually pretty much won him the parent, really. He won a couple of really close matches at the end of the season. And, yeah. There's no slouches um, in that Melbourne pennant, is there? Around <laughs> the sand belt, they can all play. Uh, well, it was funny. Lucas Michelle, who won the US Mid Amateur a few weeks ago, so he's playing at Augusta. And Wingfoot, where I'm going to caddy for him in the US Open at Wingfoot. He was a number. He was a number three player in the club pennant team last year. <laughs> He's the US, US mid amateur champ on the other other yeah. side of the world. Is, is, is yeah. Frank allowed? Is um, Clates allowed to caddy in the US Open next year? Frank, can you give him the time off? Did you apply, Clates? Did you did you get that week off yet? Maybe you didn't. You, uh, you, you better you'd better check on that, uh, Clates. You mentioned uh, you, you, were, you were going to move to the to Europe for the summer back to back to England. Is that true? You're going to be there full time? I, I know that there's a project you guys are, are a chance to maybe be doing there, which will be fantastic. Can't say what it is yet, but is that what that's about and, and what are you looking forward to most with that? And is Deb looking forward to it mostly? My wife is looking forward to it. She's got many friends over there as I have. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll certainly go for the summer. And I think if we're advertising that we're working in Europe, you better be there. You can't sit in Australia and you've got to show your face and turn up and go to the meetings and talk to the members and go to the courses and walk around them and learn them again. And so, yeah, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I did it for eight months for 15 years, so it's nothing to I feel completely at home living in Europe. We've got friends over there, and um, not sure where we'll be living. We'll probably Airbnb a place or rent a place. I'll stay with friends, whatever. But might have been imposed on Huggy up in Scotland for a few weeks. <laughs> he can return. But, um, <laughs> he spent plenty of time yeah. at your place over the years. Yeah, hasn't he? he has. Um, but no, I think if we're serious about, I mean, the, the reality is that there's going to be more work in America and Europe than there is in Australia. So. That being the case, I need to be there. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, we'll miss you. You'll yeah. be doing a lot but of it's, it's, and we'll keep And we'll keep you busy. I mean, basically, um, you know, again, a lot of people know you, uh, have heard of you, but maybe not met you. Um, I think there are multiple areas where, where there's going to be a lot of things to do. A, to look at a lot of the classics where we already work, get a second pair, third pair of eyes yeah. to look at things. Right? Uh, I would love to walk with you at, um, you know, I know you've played it twice at the Senior Open in the Netherlands, uh, Royal Hague. Um, you know, that would be a great place to walk together and spend a day or two just looking at, you know, what could be even better, you know. Well, um, I, played, I, first, I first played, I won the Dutch Amateur in 1980, so I've played there a wow. lot. I love that wow. place. So yeah. for people in Australia, think Portsea, but even better. Mm. It's almost exactly this. Well, it's a very similar piece of tumbling dune land, but it's an even better golf course. So, one of my favourite places in the world. But hey, I love that place. Fantastic. So it'd be great yeah. to get back there. And... Yeah. Plus, plus, I mean, I think what we're going to do is talk to a lot of other clubs where we haven't been in discussion yet. I mean, the advantage also is Mike knows a lot of people uh, also in Europe, and um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to do that. And then, as said, we have um, we can't talk about it yet. We just got a very, you know, we think a very big mandate in, in Ireland, uh, a course that people are, will be aware of. And um, we just heard today, and I think we can announce that as well, that we 
got mandated by uh, an Abercrombie course in uh, uh, the area of London. Nice. Uh, there you called, go. Clates, uh, you're already busy, Clates. You haven't even got there yet. Frank's already got already you working. Got. Yep, <laughs> yep, is, I'll be there. Which is nice. Frank, leaving aside the specifics of, of this just this particular announcement, the collaboration amongst yourselves, what's the future for golf courses on? Where are we going next? There's, we're starting to see the groundswell of people saying, hmm. The aesthetic that's been very popular for the last decade or so with the blowout bunkers and those sorts I, I of things. Think, I think we're going to see a lot more of um, – I mean, I've, I've in the last two years built a lot of smaller short courses, um, reversible courses too. Mm-hmm. So 9 old reversible course, which is the old Simpson um, idea. Um, and uh, that – you know, I, I tend to find – if I look at my kids, I see that – I don't think golf is in trouble, but I think golf needs to change – uh, like anything changes. I, I'm a I'm a hockey player, not an ice hockey, but a field hockey player. And if you look at the sport of hockey, it has changed tremendously in the last 20, 30 years. Um, but the sport has become a lot more fun. What they've done is, I think, better than golf, is looked at how can we make the sport more fun. And they changed rules. They t- they they you know abandoned offside. They uh, changed a couple of other rules. You can, you know, you can switch players throughout the game, and in such a way that it actually, if you compare it to soccer, soccer has kind of stood still, and I think hockey has really moved on. It's become a more exciting sport. I think something like that will happen with golf. If I look at my kids, uh, they play golf, but they they have trouble with eighteen holes. They like six holes, nine holes. They like to go and do a bit of, you know shorter playing they like that and i think that's something that is maybe also the zeitgeist that the germans would call it um and, and yeah you know i i love 18 holes but i also like playing six holes or three holes with with my kids well, don't, you know don't, and, don't and start i think the comp golf i wrote a column about competition golf and it's a, the obsession of it in no, Australia. I, here. goodness me didn't i get, a, get letters uh, that, that was interesting i was i was on the way here. i was i'm now in hamburg and i was driving four and a half hours so i listened to yours um to your podcast on barn Bulls, um you know where you talked a lot about the why couldn't you have 14 holes if that was the best for the property mm-hmm. and then i think uh uh, I, I hope that, say, the governing bodies are going to be less powerful, the rules bodies are going to be less powerful, and the game will just become even more fun than it can be already. Yeah, that's an interesting an interesting sort of take. Mike DeVries, ironically, if you really want to see golf at its best, give a couple of kids some clubs and balls and just let them go, and you see all the stuff that first drew us all to golf, but we get it's been homogenised out of the game, isn't it? It's funny, as you play golf and get more involved in golf, you tend to get hemmed in by lines that don't really exist. Does that make sense, what I'm saying there, Mike DeVries? Uh, you do. I, I work hard not to do that, though, and I think that's uh, that's one of the important things about being on site. Uh, it's something that I call reactionary golf design, where you're reacting to that site and you're trying to figure out what's... You know, you have a plan, you have an idea, you have a concept, and that starts to evolve as you're building it, as you uncover if you're in a if you're in a you know in a restoration or a renovation sort of thing you find stuff in the ground just like when you renovate a house you got the same kind of issues you know you open up a wall and here's an old pipe well we need that pipe for (laughs) whatever um same thing happens in the ground so for instance uh the project i'm working on at pelham country club in uh westchester county just north of new york city uh we're redoing five holes and 
this is an old club. They had the 23 PGA Championship here, and um, it's been changed because I-95, the expressway, goes through the property next to the rail rail line that's always been there. And when they did that, uh, they manipulated holes and they put holes over an old peat bottle. And so <laughs> this is uh, there's stuff in here that you know I've never dealt with in my 30 plus years of golf construction. Um, you know, I've never dealt with a, you know, working in a peat bog and it's, that's a serious challenge. Let me tell you. <laughs> so can I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think the thing that's, if you that's like cool, it, you can come to Holland. Uh, we've got <laughs> well, once you, once you're a fighter, that's right. You'll be the peat bog guy in the company. No, we've got uh, there you go. Specialist, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, you know, that's the, that's the. I mean, that's the exciting thing about what we do is, is it's not a tennis court. It's not X by X feet long with a three foot net or whatever and a flat surface. We we can create stuff and and do that. And that's. I mean, that's the attraction you get as a kid. Um, you know, my my kids have had the opportunity to play golf all their life, and but my son's really sort of become more interested in golf as he's worked in the bag room and caddied and things like that. And, you know, he'll work all day, but then he'll go back out and play nine holes or 15 or 12 or, you know, 18 or whatever with his buddies. And, and you know, he just wants to hit it far and, you know, he, he doesn't really care about score or anything. He's just having fun. And so it's, in, it's neat to see that sort of expression of the game still there. You know, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. I don't, Clates, I don't know about you, but, like, when I was a kid, we were always – you know, coming down in the in the dark, down 18, and saying, "Okay, this is you know, it's the 2020 U.S. Open, and we're gonna." <laughs> I'd be at Wingfoot, see, and uh, yeah. you know, this is this is for the championship, you know. But that's kind of how you get intrigued with the game, and and um, and it's fun that way. <clears throat> yeah, we all played in the dark. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to live on the back of a golf course, and every night I came home in the dark. I mean, I was a, a Sadly, the golf course is no longer there. It's covered in houses, believe it or not. Now, that was only a fairly recent thing too, wasn't it? Quite it so was, yeah. It was amazing. It was a, it was the last remnant of green space in that suburb. That when we moved there at the end of the 1960s, it was, a, it was quite a way out of town and it was orchards and paddocks and a few houses and it's all houses now. And it, was a, it wasn't a great golf course, but it had some good holes and it was a great place to learn how to play. Yeah. Just, Covered in houses. It's awful. Anyway. <laughs> Lots of golf courses can be better, Clates, can't they? But most golf courses are important, regardless of their quality, because that's how people come to play the game, just like you did from a, a course that might not yeah. be considered in the great architecture books, but it plays a vital role in the health of the game. And it's one of the challenges we face, I guess, Clates. We've talked to you about it a bunch on various podcasts. And the, the, uh, asking Frank there about the future of the game, what about from your perspective? There's... The, the world's closing in on golf in a lot of ways, isn't it? We talk about climate change and resources, and of course land is a finite resource, water's a finite resource. All of those things are putting pressure on golf, aren't they? What, what, what does golf do to respond, and what's the role and responsibility of course designers like yourselves, Clates? Well, golf's done a lousy job of selling how important it is to the environment. Certainly in the suburban environment like it is in Melbourne, we, there was an architect's Society meeting in Australia a few years ago, and we, there were a couple of PhD students who came and gave us a study on, well, spoke about the study they'd done on golf courses, suburban golf courses, how important they were to 
both the flora and the fauna of the city. And people who don't play golf have got no comprehension of how important they are in terms of retaining the indigenous trees and heathland plants and all the animal, all the bird and animal life that they sustain. So, Clay, how many times have you heard a council say we're going to close this golf course because we need green space? As the yeah. golf course is not green space. <laughs> this just staggers me every time I hear it. We need green space. We'll close the golf course. It's just bizarre. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's one of the biggest participation sports in the country, yet you know, we've got councils talking about it like it's a game like, you know, I don't know. I mean, but, but almost no one plays. I mean, it, so many people play golf in Australia, and the public courses are really important. And, but it's done a bad job of selling itself as, how important it is environmentally. Sure, it does some things not, not as well as it could, but certainly in, in, in suburban Melbourne, it's incredibly important. It's so we had a meeting at, with, with the members at Metropolitan last night with Paul Mogford, who works with Neil Craft, who's the club's architect, talking about, because they've pulled a whole lot of trees out in the last month or so, and oh, the members are going crazy. And to, to, hear, to, to listen to the relative ignorance of the comments in terms of, you know, the... the how important the environment is when, when the golf. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track here, but it was, you know, it was about. Uh, I didn't speak, but the point I made to a couple of people afterwards: we planted golf courses out terribly in Australia 100 years ago because we, the European settlers, went down the track of trying to make it feel like where they'd come from. And 100 years later, the architects are dealing with the problems of, you know, ill-conceived planting. Op- choices made a century ago. Well, if trees so, aren't native, that are in, in the wrong places... Well, not, not only trees that aren't native, trees that aren't indigenous. Yeah. So there was no will in Australia ever to, let's just leave the environment as it is, because the Aborigines have managed it pretty well for thousands of years. Now, we can come in and fix it. So they bought rabbits in. Some guy bought tw- 24 rabbits into Australia. Oh, that was a good idea. That's a good start, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and... Golf courses made the same mistake, so it's a, you know it, even the golfers it's got to sell it's the importance of sticking to what belongs on a site mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. Frank, we talk often on the various podcasts that I do about the image of the game and that image being a problem. I'm not sure what it's like in Europe, certainly in Australia, and I think America. Many people think of golf as a rich person's game, an elitist sport that's expensive to play, takes time. It's only for a certain segment of the community. All things we know that aren't true. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to figure that out. What role, responsibilities, I guess we all as golfers and in the media have a responsibility, but what role do you think and responsibility can cause designers take in that discussion with the broader community about what's good about golf, both for the environment, not just for golfers, and for communities in general? Well, I think think basically it is to work on projects which uh, allow people to play, you know, a, a good golf course for relatively little money. I mean, I've 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 been in that respect lucky, or you know, in that respect, I've been lucky that a lot of the projects I've worked on in the Netherlands have been construction budgets that were quite low because we were building on sand, on agricultural land, um, and effectively, if you can build a, a good, to, you know, very good golf course for a million, a million and a half euros or dollars, or you know, um, then. That means that the guy who operates the golf course can make money whilst asking a very reasonable green fee price or membership price. 
And I think that's that's how you get people in. I think that's part one. So the economics have to be good. So we, you know, that's where the U.S. I think has gone wrong with this, uh, well, and even some of the you know courses in in the U.K. or in Ireland, where green fees are now three hundred pounds for a round. Yeah, that that's not the future. That that's that's a very small sliver. I think the majority needs to be sustainable, but a good economics. I think the second thing is, which we talked a lot about, it has to be fun. And fun could be multiple ways. It could be, I think, give people, uh, you know, give people just a lot of fun holes. Give them a course in the course. Give them a reversible course. Try to get courses closer to the urban areas. And that's one of the reasons why I started doing reversibles or smaller courses. Because then if you, if you, you know, if a kid can get on his bicycle and go to the golf course, he will do that. If he has to get in a bus or be driven by his kid, his parents to go there, it's already a... Uh, you know, a, th- a threshold. And then the final one is, um, you know, make something that people, my wife's not a golfer, for instance, but she enjoys walking with me. If I would play a place like Royal Hague or Carney in Ireland or Makrahanish in Scotland, because it's a, it's a good walk spoiled. You know, it's great. It's a great place to walk in itself. And if we can create places like that, then, you know, people like being somewhere. So, so she walks off the course happy, and you walk off wondering if you're ever going to fix this chipping issue. Which <laughs> two very different ways to experience a well, walk, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I know. I, I'm not a. I, I'm not. I mean, both Mikes are, are much better golfers than I am. And the only time I ever played semi decent was the one and a half hours we played at Kenimer. Uh, Mike Clayton and I did. Uh, I don't know if you remember Clayton. Um, uh, he I wanted to put. Uh, we we only had one and a half hours because there was a shotgun after that, and Clayton wanted to see the place. And uh, I've never played one and a half hour, eighteen hour rounds. And the, we were playing so quickly, I had no time to think about my swing. <laughs> and those guys were swinging well because you were playing with a. We were playing with another colleague of yours, uh, Mike. It was I was thinking who it was uh, from the senior tour, and Billy? those guys were. Yeah. Was it, was it um, Billy Longmuir? And and so I was intimidated in the first two seconds, and after that I wasn't because <laughs> I realized you guys were totally not focused on me, just play, looking at the course. And what was also great is you weren't putting at all. Basically, once we got to the greens, we were like, yep, we do that all day uh, for our job. We don't want to do that here. Yeah, Clades gave up on putting and, uh, so years we, ago. So we were basically, uh, I wouldn't say running, but quickly walking the course. And that was a lot of fun. If it had been Clades on his own, you'd have gone around twice. Frank, so you, you, were probably, you were probably lucky that he had that he had somebody there with him. Clay, so you going off to a tea time? You, we've spoken about this before, mate. Is that you zipping up bags and moving around in the? No, it wasn't there? me. No, it was, wasn't that was you? Marco. It was DeVries, right? DeVries, you know, yeah. um, get, your, get your podcast game in order. <laughs> speaking about putting, um, I, I hate putt. I, I never putt when I play my own at night. But one thing I've always thought—I don't know what you guys think—but there was a old. There was a terrible little nine-hole course near where I lived that closed down. It's just turned into a weed factory. But right in the middle of a big suburban area, lots of, you know, probably a million people within 10 minutes drive of it. Perfect place to build a Himalayas putting green. Yeah. And mm. for, people, for, for people who don't play golf, anyone can putt on a crazy green. I mean, mini golf's kind of popular, which is beyond me why anyone would want to play mini golf, but they do. But Himalayas putting green in the middle of the suburbs, I think, would do unbelievably well. And someone's going to do it in Australia, and it's going to kill it, I think. So um, I agree. And for all of that sort of stuff, the, the winter park idea, somebody is going to start the trend, and then it'll take – but that's going to take some courage because 
councils are not in that frame of mind here in Australia at the moment. But at some point, somebody's going to be smart, do something good with their golf course that's been ordinary previously, and it's going to be the success that it deserves to be. And hopefully the floodgates will open and we'll see a whole new regeneration of things. Gents, I'm just noting the time. We should wrap it up fairly soon. But I wanted to come to this question for each of you. I'll start with you, Frank Pont. Culture plays an important part in everything we do, where you've grown up, where you've come from. It's what shapes us as people. You're all from three completely different backgrounds. What does your background and your business history is very different to the other two as well. What do you feel like you bring that complements the other two and how will that guide the, the business? And then the same question for the other two, so you two get time to think about it. Well, I think in the podcast with Derek, I talked a bit about it. I think it's important that you, you know, obviously you have to have seen a lot of courses. We all have that, done that. I think you have to be smart smart enough i mean the smart and you can have be different smarts to basically route a good golf course to you know get all the elements in it um what is a, a non-trivial part in our business is the what i would call change management i mean i used to be a, a consultant talking with companies saying well you're in the x business but that's really wrong you should be in the y business um that's not very different from talking to a golf club and saying you have a lot of trees you should have less trees uh, probably it's a lot harder to talk to a golf club about that. <laughs> yeah, very um, much, yep. And and uh, but it's probably one of the most useful skills that I brought along from my call of business days is to is to talk about change management to 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 understand how do you make people move from something they're doing now, which is not good for the golf course, to something else, which is better for their golf course and for the club. Um, yeah, that negotiation and, can be very difficult, can't it? When, particularly when you're dealing with incumbents who've been there for a long time and are used to things the way they are that work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that means, you know, at the beginning of the of, of my career, at least when I started doing this, um, I was more, I guess, more accommodating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've beca- I've started to realize there's sometimes there's projects that are just not for you. Uh-huh. You know, when clubs basically don't want to do the right thing. Uh, I've got a limited amount of time in my life to do to spend on this, and you know, you know, sometimes it's not the right client, not the right, you know, uh, club to do stuff. And that luckily doesn't happen too often. No. Um, sometimes personalities. Walking away from a job takes courage, doesn't it, Frank? It's a tough decision to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does. And sometimes you lose a job that you wouldn't want to lose. That happens as well. It's all part of the game. And I think personalities play a big role. I think that's something else. I mean, uh, in in the last twenty years I've worked at, I've I've probably lost one or two clients because of my personality. Um, and maybe we can win some of them back if we have nicer people like Mike and Mike show up. You know, <laughs> uh, they will hold you to that. I'm sure. Mike DeVries, you of course are in the world's biggest golf single golf market, America. We know the culture of golf in America is very different to both Europe and Australia, which are also different from each other that's no doubt got its ups and its downsides what do you hope to sort of bring that america maybe does well it gets a bad rap american golf i feel around the world we sort of point to it and say everything bad in golf is the fault of america that's not true is it no just certainly not i mean there's a lot of great here too so um you know we have a we have a massive volume half the golf courses in the world or whatever so um i think you know that those things go hand in hand um we have great, you know, I was fortunate that my grandparents belonged to Crystal Downs and I got exposed to that at a really young age and ended up working there and stuff. But I also, I played um, a little, you know, I grew up playing a little nine hole golf course that was kind of an executive course. And I got paired up with 
you know, old people, young kids, you know, whoever was there. And, um, that's the culture of that. And then I had, there was another public golf course, um, in Grand Rapids that, you know, my buddy and I, we would go to, and it was, it was, you know, it had some short little holes and, you know, one of our mothers would drop us off and pick us up two hours later, you know? So there's all this different, there's, there's different things about golf, um, that you see our culture is obviously a lot different in the u.s than it is in uh the uk the british isles and australia uh in europe and how we sort of approach golf and i think that's what you're getting at with you know golf carts and and sort of that experience um there's room for all of that and i think um you know how how to take off and make it something that's fun and exciting for people that there's all different theories to that, and and I think what we're going to do well is that we're going to take our breadth of experience, the three of us, and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Oh, that's a cool idea, and you know, try and find the right solution. Every every project has a different solution, and it just because it's a low budget public golf course doesn't mean you can't have good design. It can't be fun and exciting. And, you know, and challenge people in a certain way. You don't have to dumb the design down, I think. And, um, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have been exposed to that and been involved with building a lot of different stuff. And, you know, early in my, early in my design career, I'd grown up working in the pro shop and on the ground screw and things. But then my first real design and construction was working with Tom Doak when he was doing his, you know, the end of his first solo project. So um, we were always talking about golf and we were talking about shot values and things like that. And that stuff's, um, I think, still relevant and pertinent to what we're, what we're trying to do. Yeah, indeed. Here's an analogy for you. I reckon golf course design is a bit like coffee. It doesn't cost that much more to make a good one. <laughs> and it's well worth the extra investment. It's, it's not, not a whole lot cheaper <laughs> to design a bad golf course than it is to design a good one. Clates, I opened with you, so let's finish with you. I'm familiar, more familiar, I'm mostly familiar, obviously, with the golf culture here in Australia. It is different to the rest of the world. You, of course, have had the advantage of playing all over the world. So I guess you bring that, that, that aspect to it of perhaps understanding a bit how the different cultures, how we can take the best from each for golf. Yeah, it, it, it is different, but, you know, to talk about three courses we've spoken about in the last hour, Crystal Downs, Royal Hagen, Royal Melbourne, they're all, the, you go there, it's the same experience. It feels like they're the same place to me almost. I mean, they could all be in the same country, but the clubhouses look different, but um, it, it's still golf and it's still the same experience. Where, where it's wildly different, I guess, is, you know, there's kind of much more golf in America. There's much more high-end expensive golf, smaller clubs that cost a lot more to join. But Royal Melbourne's a big club that's relatively inexpensive to be a member. It's 5000 Australian dollars or 6000 Australian dollars. So it's, in terms of cost, our, our golf is cheaper, but... Um, then in England, it's cheaper again. So, so you know, there's so many golf clubs I go to around the world that f- where you where you don't feel out of place and you behave the same way you behave in a course in Australia and it fits perfectly well. And, you know, you, you meet the same sort of people who have, have the same love for the game. And, and as Mike was saying before, just jumped into my head, I thought when, when he was talking about oh, there always being a solution to a problem, Sometimes in, in what we do in terms of renovating courses, the solution is to leave it alone. Yeah. 
and we've all seen lots of projects where they would have been better off leaving it alone. That might, that might, that, that takes real discipline, doesn't it? I guess sometimes <laughs> to just leave it alone when it does. When you've yep. been tasked to making some changes. Well, it's been fabulous for me to catch up with all three of you, Clates. Obviously, I know you pretty well and always enjoy chatting with you. But Frank, been lovely to meet you. Really appreciate you taking some Same time here. Best of luck with this project and with your other. Uh, endeavours as well. well. We'll all be in the golf world watching carefully because it's important what you guys do. So thanks for taking the time to chat today. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Thank you, you. Clates. I haven't thanks, come Rob. to you yet, Clates. I haven't come to you yet either, DeVries. I said goodbye to Frank. He's oh, the only sorry. one who hasn't oh. said goodbye. Thank you, oh. Frank, for taking some time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are off to a flying start. Mike DeVries, it's been lovely to chat with you also, my friend. I've not yet experienced Cape Wickham down on King Island. I'm not great with planes, and that's a difficult flight into there, but I will make the effort one day uh, to get in there. been great to catch up with you today. really enjoyed it. Thanks. I appreciate it, Rod. Really fun. Yeah, and, and thank you for taking Clates' job of making all the noise in the background while we were trying to record as well. We really appreciate that. Fantastic <laughs> effort. That Clates, wasn't me. You reckon it wasn't you, Frank? <laughs> it's got to be you then, Frank, because you're the only one who's left. So, uh, well I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a mouse squirreling around here. Well, there you go. So nobody was making the noise. Fantastic, Clates. It's come back to you. Uh, we'll be talking, no doubt, much more on State of the Game, etc. But looking forward to uh, hearing of your travails in the summer over there on, in, in Europe. And thanks for taking some time today, mate. One door closes, another one opens. Sadly, yep. you found these two behind the door that opened for you, but you're just going to have to have the rest of it. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks, Rod. It's always good. We'll see you at the – when am I going to see you now? I'm going to see you at the Australian Open. You will see me at the Australian. In fact, we'll be Correct. working together at the Australian. Oh, I probably shouldn't let that. I'll be working with the Golf Australia team at the Australian. Oh, you're doing that. Okay. Yeah, you're going to Very be good. That. So that'll be good. So we'll be uh, we'll be a part of the same crew. Looking forward to that. And I'm catting for the the best name in golf. Okay, come Elvis, on. Elvis Smiley. Oh, Elvis Smiley. Elvis <laughs> Smiley, who is um, who won the son, won yeah. the Australian Junior Championship. His mother was a very famous tennis player, Liz Smiley, who won Wimbledon. Doubles, titles, and so, yeah. she played with. Did she play with Martina? No, she didn't play. With, she played with Betsy Nagelson, okay. who was Mark McCormick's wife. Um, Liz was a great tennis player. So I've known Elvis since he was a little boy. And, um, he's not so, little anymore, is he? He's about six foot ten. No, he's a massive no, kid. He's <laughs> he's good. So good player too. Yeah. I'll be do, I'll be doing the radio and I'll be lumping a bag around for. So I've got the Australian Open and the US Open coming up, and that's it. Fantastic. You've never, like you, you've never played days. so much high-profile golf since you retired, Clates. <laughs> Getting to events you never got into. Yeah, that's true, yeah. All those years ago. Well, Frank and Mike DeVries, you've just heard what makes Clates special. There we were, just about to finish, and he drops a bunch of history of tennis on us that none of us knew, <laughs> and he just happens to have at his recall. So get used to that. You'll be in the middle of discussing how a green should go, and you'll get a theory about why the AFL has grown into what it is. But that's the joy of Clates. Thanks to you all. Episode 99 of State of the Game in the books. Looking forward to episode 100 coming up soon. We'll try and think of something special to do, but we'll definitely get Shackelford back for that here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.